listening to a podcast from The National. The Myanmar military's latest wave of violence against the Rohingya Muslim minority has been described by the United Nations as a textbook example of ethnic cleansing. Beginning in August last year, it sparked the mass exodus of more than half a million Rohingya refugees to neighbouring Bangladesh, around two-thirds of the entire Rohingya population in Buddhist-majority Myanmar. The military says its clearance operations in Rakhine state have targeted Rohingya militants and it denies persecuting civilians. But almost 7,000 members of the minority are believed to have been killed in the month after the violence first broke out, nearly 1,000 of these children under the age of five. Many women and girls have also reported being raped and abused by the security forces, while dozens of Rohingya villages have been completely leveled by the authorities in recent weeks, with the government using bulldozers to destroy what rights groups say is crucial evidence of mass atrocities against the minority. Conditions in the refugee camps in Bangladesh are dire, and six months after the crisis first began, there are few signs that Rohingya refugees will be going home anytime soon. This is Beyond the Headlines. I am Laura McKenzie. Later in the show, we'll be talking to Amar Kamis, the director of a humanitarian organization based in Erbil, who switched from helping the human victims of Iraq's war against ISIL to helping zoo animals left to fend for themselves amid the fighting in Mosul. But first, we are joined by Kate Nolan, who is coordinating Medicine Sans Frontières' emergency response to the Rohingya refugee crisis in Bangladesh. She spoke to us on the phone from Cox's Bazaar, where most of the Rohingya who fled to Bangladesh are living. Bangladesh has received over 670,000 Rohingya refugees since the crisis began at the end of August 2017. These new arrivals have joined tens of thousands that are already in Bangladesh um, from previous periods of tension. Um, and violence that had occurred in neighboring Rakhine state in Myanmar. So in total now, there are approximately 900,000 Rohingyas that are living in Cox's Bazar district in Bangladesh, where I am now. So um, the numbers of uh, new arrivals are living in very densely crowded and overpopulated makeshift settlements in Cox's Bazar district. They're living in shelters that are constructed from pieces of bamboo and plastic sheeting, and they have very little or almost no access to um, uh, to adequate water and sanitation conditions. What we see based on um, our experiences in our medical facilities is that we're treating people for diarrheal diseases. We're also treating people for respiratory tract infections, which are directly related to the living conditions that people have inside the camps. And how has the humanitarian situation in the camps evolved over the six months of the crisis and how has MSF adapted to these changes? MSF has massively scaled up its operations in Bangladesh since the beginning of the crisis. We are over 2,000 national and international staff. Um, We're running a very large number of health facilities, including 15 health posts, three primary health centres and five inpatient health facilities. Nearly 300,000 patients have been treated at MSF outpatient facilities and approximately 7,000 patients have been treated in our inpatient facilities between the end of August and the end of January of this year. So in a, in a very short space of time, we've had to significantly scale up and expand our operations to, to meet the level of needs 
um, the sheer numbers of people that have crossed the border in such um, such a short space of time is is something that's truly striking about the magnitude of this emergency. It, it sounds from what you're saying as if MSF is is kind of bedding in for the long term in the camps. Is that a, an accurate statement, would you say? The, the public health situation now is very fragile. There are a number of things that we're concerned about in the coming period. For example, the, the prospect of having fresh emergencies occurring within this existing emergency situation. The very large size of the population, the very densely crowded and inadequate living conditions in the camps so from our perspective, we, we see that there is a need to continue our operations, especially focusing on the areas of emergency preparedness and response and concentrating especially on secondary health care, where we feel that as MSF, that is one of the, the greatest needs and where we can have the greatest impact for, for the population. So we're preparing our own emergency response, trying to anticipate certain scenarios that may come up in the coming period. For example, the upcoming rainy season with monsoons and tropical storms in an area of Bangladesh that is very prone to cyclones. It increases the potential for waterborne diseases such as acute watery diarrhea. So we're also quite concerned about the nature of the shelters, how robust they are and if they are really equipped and prepared for, for heavy rains. We're also preparing for scenarios like flooding, landslides and mudslides. Do you feel as though MSF and the other aid organisations working on the ground there have enough resources at the moment to be able to cope with a widespread disaster such as flooding or or the impact of cyclones or are you severely lacking in in resources at the moment of course i can't really comment on the the resource situations of of other organizations but um as msf we're our priority is to consolidate our existing activities to ensure that we're ready to respond if the crisis becomes protracted and and forgotten so as MSF, we, we're preparing internally for, for the coming months ahead. And you just mentioned about the crisis becoming forgotten there. It's now six months in and you're already seeing the crisis going out of uh, news headlines. It's, it's often barely mentioned anymore. What can MSF do to try and counter that? I, I think it's important to, to note that there are still hundreds of Rohingyas that are crossing the border from Myanmar into Bangladesh, six months on from the beginning of this large-scale influx that was induced by the military operations in Rakhine State. We have uh, medical staff that are present at the, at the entry points where the new arrivals come to provide them with medical screening, treatments, vaccinations and referrals if necessary to the next level of healthcare. The numbers of people arriving now are not massive like in the beginning of the crisis, but we still see a few hundred reaching the country every week after crossing the, the Naf River. So the newly arrived refugees say they sell their goods in any way that they can in order to be able to take a boat to reach a country that has made and well, continues to make very big efforts to accommodate them. And what are the kind of stories you're hearing from the new arrivals? What is it that's still making people flee their homes and come to Bangladesh six months on? It was just that. So they're saying that they, they feel unsafe, threatened and harassed at home. And they see that they, they don't have many other options um, in their place of origin. And eventually they make their way to the beaches and then they, they try through whatever means they, they can in order to reach Bangladesh. And is treatment for, for mental health also a priority, given the trauma that that so many people say they've gone through? 
Yeah, absolutely. For people who have experienced very high levels of violence, as confirmed by the mortality surveys that we published in December, we think that that's very important to to focus on, and that will be a very important part of our work in the in the coming time ahead. And what more do you think the international community could be doing to help organisations like MSF on the ground? MSF is is working through through private sources of funding. This is funding that comes directly from donations of people living in the UAE, for example, or living uh, living in different countries in Europe who donate directly from MSF because they they believe in the work of the organisation. So having that kind of funding and that type of support is incredibly beneficial and essential to MSF operations, it allows us to continue our work and that we can provide the necessary services to to the patients here in Bangladesh. And lastly, I wanted to ask you, it seems at the moment that it's it's very unclear if if the refugees will be able to return home anytime soon. There doesn't seem to be any any kind of real or realistic uh, timeline for that. What do you think are going to be the biggest challenges for MSF in the long term in the refugee camps? I think from from our perspective, we we need to ensure that there is a scale up of water sanitation and uh, shelter interventions related to the conditions in the camps that I mentioned earlier to ensure that people have adequate access to these services as they have a very direct impact on on the public health of the population. Something I'm concerned about is the prospect of fresh emergencies occurring within this emergency situation. So ensuring that organizations, including MSF, we, we all need to be prepared to react and respond to the changing needs. The, the public health situation is incredibly precarious, linked to a number of different factors, such as the upcoming monsoon season, water, sanitation and shelter conditions, in addition to the, the fact that the Rohingya population and their place of origin had very little access to, to health care, including um, routine vaccinations, which means the, the situation is more prone to outbreaks of communicable diseases, in addition to the upcoming monsoons, which have the potential for flooding and landslides. In happier news this week, two lions caught up in the conflicts in Syria and Iraq were taken to South Africa to be rehomed. Saeed was rescued from an amusement park outside Aleppo in Syria, and Simba was rescued from the zoo in Mosul both last year. Amar Kamis is the director of the Critical Needs Support Foundation, an NGO working to provide emergency assistance to victims of conflict in Iraq. Last year, his organization was asked to help rescue Simba, along with a bear named Lulu from Mosul Zoo, where they had been left abandoned amid the battle to retake the city from ISIL. After finding the animals in a bad state, Amar launched an online campaign calling for help in rehoming the animals with the hashtag MakeTheBearFluffyAgain. Amar told me more about how he came to be involved. So when the liberation operations happened in Mosul, we get called by Mosul I which is a Facebook uh, Facebook network, is helping people in Mosul. So they told us about the situation of a small zoo in Marur area. It's called Park Il Marur in Mosul, in the east of Mosul. They told us there is an animal need help there, and when we arrived, we see it. So the situation that time, uh, there was two lions and a bear, and uh, one of the two lions died because no one was taking care of them during the war. We uh, uh, start to calling people like Paul's and uh, people who's like uh, vegetarian in Arbil and also in Mosul, but 
unfortunately the access was very hard that time. When the when the situation became internationally, things had to be better because we got support from Paul in uh, Syria. Uh, the doctor is the right to Erbil with his staff and to start to helping these animals. So for two weeks we start to providing food, uh, also water, clean water to the bear and the lion that time. The Iraqi uh, Iraqi government, they was very busy with the liberation operations. They wasn't involved that much to care for these animals. So, like, I'm happy for the international community. They're involved and they help them. So when so, was it that you were asked to go and and look at the animals? It was 2017 and uh, near to January, like January, the end of January. So it's it's when when the situation in Mosul was still really bad. Uh, the, as you know, the liberation operation starts in uh, the end of October, so the situation starts to be hard in December. So between December and and uh, February, it was very hard time for the people in east of Mosul. What happened is people they was going from their homes to go to the camps, so the the area was empty. When we heard from the people, there is a lion, there is a bear. They was even very angry because we give them food, and there's people they was starving that time. For that, like we wasn't big people to involve because we don't have experience how to help animals. You know, we as CNSF, Critical Support Foundation, they, we provide support to vulnerable people. We don't have any idea how to help animals, but we like. As I told you, we started to contact the international community and they was helping in the situation. So what, I know that you said that one of the lions had already died by the time you reached there, but what kind of state was yeah. the other lion and the bear in when you found them? Simba, the lion was like, it was like sleeping all the time, like, like not moving, not active. Uh, unfortunately, I, I, I see lots of like... Uh, I see kids throwing stone on it. He was injured in his head, and he was when he walked, not walk normally. It was really, it was a really tough situation, like for him. And also uh, Lulu, the bear, uh, she was skinny. She can't move very well, not active. And also, unfortunately, like the kids was also throwing the stones on them. So what we done, the first step we done, we let everyone be out of the camp. Uh, sorry, be out of uh, the park. Uh, we closed the park. We hired uh, a guard to take care of them, like to just watching them, and we start to provide food. Uh, for the access that time, there was even some IEDs inside the park, like explosion device, so not anyone was access. Uh, the kids, they was living near to the park, so they know the area very well, and they know how to walk to go there. So there was only like, uh, once, like for them, they was like playing, but it wasn't playing. It was hurting this animal. I like was one of the neighborhoods of like one of the neighbor for this park. He asked people to go to kill them because it's better for them to be alive because they get no help, no support. But we say no, we'll start to help, we we'll start to support. We then immediately support for them. At that time, I thought like at least we start to give hope to these animals. And what's happened to all of the other zoo animals? Where did they go? Do you know? We heard there's four monkeys run away. And the pigeons, everything, they're just to fly, run away. Because there's uh, two mortars fall down in that park. One of them near to the main gate. 
on the second nest of the cages. And was it dangerous for you trying to reach the zoo where the bear and the lion were? Did you have a difficult journey trying to we, get there? We saved lives. Like, during the fight of Muslim, you know, lots of people dying and passes in front of our eyes. It's not an uh, easy situation. It's very hard. But when when I heard about the bear and I heard about the lion, it's like, really, they touch my heart. Especially the bear. Like, first moment I see the bear... It's like I was feel like I was feel really like I'm touched by them and I really was tearing when I see them. I wasn't know what I could do. I don't have experience how to help these animals, you know. So like at that time like we have faith in ourselves we could help these people, we could support them. Sorry, we could help these animals, we could support them. And I'm happy. Like we always we reach people outside the country to send help for different things but this time we start to ask to send help for this animal. And of course, Musul Eye uh, Network, they have support, they, they make the issues from national issues to international and people start to reach from everywhere. So when did you manage to find an organization that could help you to move the animals out of Mosul? Um, first, we speak with the organization in Doha. They promise us they will send lots of things and they will speak with the government to move the animals out to Dohog Zoo. But unfortunately, it doesn't happen. Pause from Asteria, they, Astoria, they arrived to the country, to Erbil. The doctor, it was, I think, Egyptian doctor, he go and he start, like, to speaking with the government about it. So, first thing he done, a medical care for them inside the zoo and he took them from the zoo to the out of... Uh, out of Mosul and from there to Jordan. So are they in Jordan today or have they been rehomed somewhere else? They moved to Jordan and from Jordan uh, the bears went to South of Africa and also the bear went to Australia. This is what the last we heard about them, but we sure, like, as we know, Simba is now in, uh, in South of Africa because uh, that park is especially for lions and they could rehab, like, uh, give them the real medic they needed, the real medical support. So the last you heard, how were they? How were they doing? Were they doing well? Yeah, as I know, like Simba starts to be very well, having lots of friends there and playing with other lions. Like it's very good. Amid so much human suffering in Iraq, why do you feel it is important to spend so much time, energy, and money on rehoming animals like the lion and bear from Mosul Zoo? I know you said that um, some of the some of the civilians you met in Mosul were angry that you were giving food to the animals. After the lion and the, and the bear, we also we found some puppies in the street and we started to take care of them. We found homes for them, but for these animals, there is no one could take care of them. They don't have voice for support or help. Unfortunately, some people they see them as toys. In my country, unfortunately, we don't have the uh, the culture of how to care for animals. This is something new we have it. Thanks so much to our guests today, Kate Nolan and Amar Kamis. And thanks also to Kevin Jeffers for producing this show. You can find this and all of The National's other podcasts on the Apple Podcasts app or wherever else you get your podcasts from. I've been your host, Laura McKenzie. Thank you for listening and goodbye for this week. <laughs>